Welcome to this episode of Knowing Nature. We're still physical distancing here, recording over various internet communication means, so apologies for the audio quality in this episode. The episode you're about to hear is going to be part of a series of episodes called Film Club, and it's going to be a discussion on films and the environmental messages in those films. Uh, so I'd recommend that you watch the film before listening to the episode. This episode is about a 1992 film called Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest. And in the episode, we're discussing the species that we've spotted in the film. And uh, we're going to be thinking about uh, who the main villain or the antagonist of the film is. So if you haven't seen the film, have a watch of the film first, think about those questions, and then come back and have a listen. And without further ado, here's this week's episode. Hello and welcome to Knowing Nature, the podcast all about exploring and engaging with the natural world. My name's Victor, and in this episode, it, we're going to be doing a film club discussion of the movie Fern Gully from 1992. Joining me in this episode are Aisha, an environmental educator, and Annie, a science educator. Welcome to the show. So we're talking about this movie. Fern Gully came out in... 1992 is directed by Bill Croyer um, and it's actually based on a book Ferngully the Last Rainforest which is by Diana Young so we all three watch this movie it's it's a classic yeah no it's one of the one of the first movies I I think I ever actually sat down and watched all the way through yeah this was my one of my favorites growing up I, I watched it a good number of times but Annie mm-hmm. I think this was your first time watching the movie yeah right? Yes, I didn't watch it when I was a kid, so um, it was the first time I watched it yesterday, and I can say that I really liked it. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, and for me, it's a classic film about uh, environmental, like, habitat destruction and Mm -hmm. saving rainforests, that whole issue. And one of the things that I really like about the film is the way that the animals and the habitats and the plants are depicted in this film. Yeah, what, what did you think about it, Annie? Yeah, I actually, um, I, I love the biodiversity that is in the movie, actually. And I think that they spend quite a long time in the forest, actually, in the in Australian rainforest, actually, to get to know it a little bit more, um, to make sure that they were, like, presenting that with accuracy. And, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. It has, like, that kind of, like, magical feeling with the creatures in the forest. But it's actually real, real um, animals and real plants that they, they are part of the Australian rainforest. Yeah. And actually, I when I thought back and when I was rewatching this for this episode, I don't think that I realized that it was the Australian rainforest Mm -hmm. when I was watching this as a kid, because when I think rainforest, I usually think about the Amazon. And it's only rewatching this that I recognized that it was the Australian rainforest. Um, Yeah. Yeah. When did you realize that it was the Australian rainforest? I kind of, you know, that the, uh, well, one of the things, the glowing mushrooms, <laughs> but then you have like so many like animals, like the platypus is there, the wallaby is there. So there are some little bits that tell you that it's Australian. Um, it took me quite a while, I think as well, because I watched it as a kid. I'd never even given any thought to where it was, because obviously as a child, a rainforest is, you have no real idea of geography and where things are and what animals you live in them. 
So re-watching it was the first time I'd ever actually considered, oh, where is this and what rainforest? <laughs> um, and I think the, the one that for me is um, when uh, Krista's going out um, after seeing Maggie for the first time, there's a little swamp wallaby drinking oh, from yeah. the river. Yeah. And I was like, oh, it's a swamp wallaby. There's only one place where swamp wallaby <laughs> that's Australia that that was where I I was like oh yeah this is an Australian rainforest yeah Mm -hmm. and and as you mentioned Annie there is a platypus in there partway through the film and actually right in the introduction when you've got the kind of chalk drawing bit there's a kangaroo there There Um, when I noticed it is um, there's a scene where you see one of the characters like his wallet and his ID and I would I like paused the film to look at his ID and oh. realized that it was all Australian stuff and then I was like what is this set in Australia um and then I realized like oh there's kangaroos in it there's a platypus yeah. of course it's yeah. Australia so I I do like that as you said Annie the the like attention to detail and so it's not just a generic rainforest habitat. There are a lot of little details that make it the Australian rainforest. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, and so that's kind of a really great thing that there's not that rainforests are different, but also and there's also a lot of different rainforests all over the world. There's, Absolutely. you know, it's not just the Amazon rainforest. There's rainforests in Australia. There's ones in Africa. Mm-hmm. You've got ones in Asia, like in Malaysia and the peninsula there. Um, and Canada, Victor. Yes, and there's temperate rainforests <laughs> on the west coast. Absolutely. Yes, uh, yes. This is great to highlight those differences. And, and so I think that's one of the really great things about this film and the way that it depicts nature is that it is yeah. th- uh, is that attention to detail and they're not just kind of generic animals. They are specific mm-hmm. animals. I really like mm-hmm. that the animals are in a lot of ways animals they're not like disney characters where they like walk and talk really Mm -hmm. in that same way like donald duck walking and talking yeah the only one will be but for the rest it's just like they they are actually animals yeah 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 oh that's the i suppose the one they have um the big lizard yeah yeah but what do you i've forgotten what you call them but they're they're all over oz i i I forget but yeah it's it's a big um yeah, they're absolutely everywhere. Um, Goana, Goana. Ah, yeah. Mhm. Yeah, the big colorful lizard that's in the film. Yeah, but they're not so colorful when you see them, obviously. In yeah. Real life, but they're yeah. We used to do a, a lot of camping out in Oz, and you'd hear them coming through the bush. This boom, 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 boom. You'd be like, oh, this is it. What is it? It'd just be this massive, massive. Um, Guana lizard. Oh, wonderful. They're pretty big and they don't stop for How big are they, Aisha? They're really big. I think they can get to be about five feet. Oh, so, wow. But yeah, they're they're really big and they'll just, they show no fear. And they're mm-hmm. little small, small birds and everything. They're pretty, yeah, pretty impressive. I really like them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's certainly one of the best parts of the movie for me is just the variety and diversity of the habitats but also the plants like particularly at the ends there's a lot of um, good depiction of plants in the film and like looking at the shapes and forms and how they grow is quite interesting now all of this life is contrasted a couple times in the film 
with what's called in the film like forces of destruction there's things of dealing with death and decay and the the whole movie is kind of this conflict set up between uh living growing things and then this kind of destructive side of it but when the concept is when the idea is introduced um it's by Maggie and it's sort of near the beginning and she and Krista they're at this rotting old tree stump and they kind of heal the tree stump sort of with this seed and they plant it and then it helps it to grow and it sets it up as this opposition here's these bad things that have hurt this tree and now it's rotting but we can save it by helping it to grow what what do you think about the the setup of these two different forces as being in such opposition Aisha what did you think um, I like it. I think it's a it's a great way to to kind of like introduce, especially to younger audiences, the idea of how these things are cyclical. You need death in order for things to grow and more things to come to life. And I really like that scene where yeah, yeah, Maggie actually shows Krista how you can make things. Yeah, that as that seedling grows from the, I think it's the one where you've got the rotting tree stump, right? Yeah, my my thinking is that the the way I see that scene is it's like the fairies are fighting against this thing. But as you said, it's a cyclical, it's a natural part of the way in which the world works. Like Mm -hmm. you need things to rot and decay to return nutrients, to produce soil so that new plants can grow Mm -hmm. from it. Like you need to have it. Yeah. Annie, what did you think? Yeah, I agree with you both. I think it has a very important message on how important the balance between those two is. Uh, there's need, there is this need of this destruction, but not in a massive way. Um, and and that decay is needed as well to to have things growing at the same time. So the the movie is actually showing us how important that balance is. But it needs to be a balanced thing. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think it works really well in that, like kind of giving that kind of message that it needs to be balanced. Mm-hmm. I think I would like that balance thing to have um, much more in the film because I felt like it really it made the kind of decay bit really negative. Yeah. Um, and it didn't show why you need that. It's just, you know, the fairies, they just kind of make things grow and it's kind of by magic. So mm-hmm. they, they don't really talk about how things rotting down leads to new life. And I think that's something that um, it's missing. I think it's missing. And I think some newer films deal with it a bit better. I'm trying to think of which ones. Um, I suppose The Lion King does it really well. Yeah. The idea no, of the circle. Yes, yeah. I think you're right. The Lion King does deal with it a lot better. It, it explicitly talks about the circle of life and what happens after these animals die and then going back yeah. into the earth. Yeah. No, you're right. Which is not that far. I think The Lion King came out in 90, yeah not that long after that but i i like i think it does address that balance that is something i think also that is missing a bit from this film is that there are very few predators and carnivores depicted mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then i suppose that's that's quite um australia actually has very few carnivores and predators like it only really has as a main Predator, if you think of rainforests, you'd have the dingo or crocodiles. They don't have that many like large carnivore predators in Oz. 
That's true. Other than mm -hmm. like carnivorous, like reptiles and things. No, you're yeah, right. And, and they have the guana in there. The guana is one yeah. of the biggest carnivorous reptiles, yeah. obviously after the crocodile. But yeah, it's why kangaroos are so, um, there's so many of them. Interesting. So they're, they're kind of missing from the film, but that's because they're also not present in the habitat. No. Hmm. I didn't consider mm -hmm. that. That's a good point. Um, is there any, yeah, is there any dingo that appears in the movie actually? No, but dingoes live in uh, rainforests. Dingoes yeah. live in like open, pl so you get lots of towards mm -hmm. kind of um, the islands, like Fraser Island mm -hmm. or quite like Queensland. But again, like out, not in rainforests. Kind of rainforest. like, yeah. mm -hmm. So let's let's move on to the meat of the film, I guess. So we were introduced to the rainforest, and we get kind of this introduction to the animals and plants within it. We meet some of the fairies. In the introduction, we're also introduced to a character, Hexus, and he represents the like forces of destruction. In the introduction, where you've got that kind of chalk line drawings, there's a, a volcano that erupts out, mm -hmm. and then he kind of comes out of it, which is quite interesting. Let, let's start with talking about Hexus then. Like, what what do you think he is? Who who is he? Hexus is yeah. it's how they bring up what what is negative. It's the idea, I suppose, that we all, even like on an adult level, it's 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 why people think things are wrong with the world. Oh, it's because this certain entity exists, and it's very hard and complex to put into an overall view. So I found a lot of films, this one included, they they put it in it. They almost personify it and categorize it down into one single entity mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's a good way of of seeing him and it yeah. specifically within that introduction was interesting he kind of represented it shows you this volcanic eruption and then it talks about yeah. hexis raining down his destruction so he's he <laughs> kind of represents forces like um wildfires acid rains which you can get yeah. after volcanic mm -hmm. eruptions mm-hmm it's quite inter interesting that this time the bad guy is a natural thing um, whose nature is to feed on nature itself. So it's yep. actually a natural thing. Yeah, I think, and that's why I wish there was more of that balance because that introduction introduces him as part of the natural world. And it mm -hmm. is these kind of destructive parts that do harm plants and animals, but it's not, it's just a, a natural consequence of how the world works, like how geology and chemistry works. Uh, but then we're introduced to, to humans. So they come mm -hmm. into the picture and in the introduction, which is told from the fairies' point of view, the humans get chased out from the rainforest, like because of all this destruction that's happening, they flee the rainforest. Mm -hmm and then never return to it. So from these fairies' perspective, they kind of disappear and become myths. But when mm -hmm. we meet them again, it's modern day. They're back in the forest, and they're cutting things down. They're cutting down mm -hmm. trees. And they end up releasing Hexus again. Then the two come together, and they're coming after Ferngully. And so the question I had is, who's the villain? Who's the bad guy in this movie? Or is that even a good word to it like who did you think i think it's interesting in this sense how humans actually are in this movie because they are not i think that they are trying to say that humans they are not distracted per se um that they humans they are greedy uh they are thoughtless uh they can be like very like short-sighted 
and that can lead to destruction. Then I don't know if uh, humans are the villain in this. In all this, I agree very much with Annie. I think the um, the film beautifully handles the idea that people aren't intrinsically evil. It, it again, like it's with education, and I feel that that's what happens in the movie. Zach is a person who's doing this this thing that is viewed obviously by the fairies, probably by the fairies themselves, as an mm. evil thing. He would have, you know, you think, oh, he's an evil person. But then as he goes on through his journey throughout the film, he, he becomes educated and he realises that what he was doing wasn't right, but he wasn't aware of that before. And I, yeah. I like the fact that the film doesn't deny so much the workers, the people who are doing this to try and make a living, but they embody that, you know, the evil element as the, the machine itself. And I suppose yeah. that really is what, what is evil it's like the the machine of the cogs whether you, whatever you want to call that that drives people to yeah. have jobs and have to you know mm-hmm. constantly find more and more resources deeper and deeper into another habitats i suppose mm-hmm. yeah i think Annie, the word you used is a really good one in this context is is that the humans are thoughtless in here is they're doing this as you say um, Ayusha, in order to you know make a living, make money, they're just doing their jobs, as it were. But they don't. Um, none of the humans really think about what they're doing. They just kind of do it. And it's a really interesting first few conversations between Krista and Zach, where she's asking him about where he's from and you know how close she talks. She's talking about how she listens to the trees and oh, you don't listen like you can't hear the trees and she's just really perplexed it's clear when in zach's responses he's just like he's never thought about the natural world as something that has its own thing going on lives go on in the forest when humans aren't there he's just never thought about it and so Mm -hmm. when he's coming in marking all the trees to be chopped down he doesn't think about the consequences of it Mm -hmm. there is yeah there's this, this sequence where they, when um, he's actually talking to Krista about he lives in a city where there are no many trees, and she's like, how can you live without trees? Trees give life. Trees, they make clouds, they make rain, they make the air. So she's like, he's like trying to like, he's not conscious about what trees um, mean. And also when, when um, in that uh, part of the movie when he's like writing her name down on a tree. So he's like craving the tree, Christus, uh, Christus name. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, you mustn't do that. You can, can you feel the pain of the tree? You know? Like she's trying to educate him. And the journey of Zach is so important in this movie, actually. It's, it's really, really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. It's, he, you know, he kind of sees the forest from that new perspective because he's literally shrunk down. So he, he just has this very different perspective. Yeah. Suddenly the forest is a much bigger part of his life literally because he is so tiny Mm -hmm. Um, yeah i think his journey is quite good because i think he's a really good reflection of how a lot of people their relationship with nature where it's you know most of the world now lives in cities and we're just removed from nature in a way and so it's really easy to forget that it's there as we go about our busy urban mm-hmm. lives. It's an interesting change of perspective, but I also find it really interesting because it's quite different from the perspective on conservation that we have nowadays. Like nowadays, there's a really strong emphasis on the 
benefits that these habitats give humans the um what is it the natural capital kind of thing um and that's not the perspective that's taken in this film so the perspective taken in this film is is a bit more that the habitat and the animals and the plants within it has this innate right to life because what he's seeing is he's not seeing the benefits that this habitat provides to humans what he's seeing is all the different lives and interactions that happen within the forest and how much those all depend on the forest Mm -hmm. and i think that that's a good perspective to have because uh, especially now when so much of conservation has really shifted towards that really economic focus a film like this highlights this other side to it that there are all these organisms living their lives in this habitat where does the responsibility lie do you think in this one i think it very much it's very much it very much lays with humans um obviously in what they've done and their their greed i think it's there's um my favorite scene in the whole film is tim curry's toxic love song mm-hmm. Um, and I think it highlights a lot of what of what the problems are. It's about um, humans' need for more and more things. It, I, ultimately, their greed to have more than what they already own. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the responsibility there is not with one individual. It's none of the individual characters, really. It's just this kind of something going on in the background that's leading these people to do what they're doing. Um, Annie, what did you think? I think as well it's, it's a greediness um, and also think that is the, the lack of understanding. So when you don't understand about something, you don't know about something that you don't protect it or you don't realize how important it is. And I think that lack of education or ambiental or environmental education or understanding is one of the things too. Mm-hmm. And I think also direct experience with it, like the way that Zach is... He's just spending time out in the rainforest and mm-hmm. uh, and being forced to pay attention to it rather than, you know, listening to his Walkman and when he's on his breaks doing whatever else he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's out there in the rainforest and he's living there, experiencing it, he develops this appreciation for it. So I think mm-hmm. that it's not that he develops this deep scientific understanding of the natural world. It's an appreciation developed by direct experience um, Mm -hmm. that really changes his perspective. I think that's something that needs to be remembered in environmental education more generally, is that, you know, a lot of environmental education, um, a lot of institutions put a lot of focus on the science side of it and a lot of other ways of appreciating the natural world really get left by the wayside. This is a nice film for highlighting that, that it doesn't necessarily need to be a really scientific understanding. Mm -hmm. And I think who who he, like Zach especially, I think he's he's very young and he's influenced as well by the people he works with. Mm -hmm. You can see that the the people he works with are almost saying, do it, do it. And they have these kind of like ideas about the environment and the forest itself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. His, his obviously his attitude changes when he's surrounded by people who have a different opinion as well which i think is that's again a proof of the, how human can be manipulated as well and yeah how easily is manipulated by exus as well so exus really manipulates human in this movie too and how human are very easy to manipulate in that sense as well and it's act too yeah 
<laughs> yeah, it's interesting. But he doesn't really, well, up until the very end, kind of, but he doesn't force them to do anything, but he does encourage them encourage in certain them. directions. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of interesting where none of the the people in the film or none of the characters in the film who are set up as like the bad guys, they're mm -hmm. none of them are really the bad guys. You know, they're not there because they want to just ruin things. Really. Yeah. Um, Hex is maybe a bit less that, but they're doing whatever and it's having this negative impact. I think that's quite mm -hmm. interesting. Mm -hmm. What did you guys think about the ending of the film? I really like the fact that it's not, really an individual action that stops it 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 yeah it's this collective action that ends up stopping what's going on yeah that's one of the things i was going to say before that they, they work together to to kind of win the fight with exes and that's one of the messages as well everyone needs to work together to be able to 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 help um biodiversity to help the forest and biodiversity um and that, that's i think one of the messages in the ending I really like I really liked the ending for lots of yeah lots of different reasons I like the fact that it's obviously they defeat um as a group but also the fact that Zach Zach doesn't stay in the forest like he's he's learned to love it to come to appreciate it I found that very nice that um he was going on he's been I don't like to use the word educated because it sounds very very preachy so I'm looking for another word because um maybe like his eyes have been opened to to it or something um, yeah some, yeah he's come he's come to realize the value uh, yeah realize I suppose and I like then that he's left to go on to hopefully inspire other people to see the beauty in the rainforest and to leave it leave it alone yeah having rewatched it now i think that ending that last moment is actually one of my favorite moments as well mm -hmm. is when he says you know he really wants to stay but he, he can't he needs to go back and mm -hmm. the sense that you get is it's because of his experience there mm -hmm. you know he wants to go back and and change things so that the humans don't just come back into the rainforest to chop it all down. Mm -hmm. um, I do like that, it, that there's, you know, it's not any single action really that's going to swoop in. It needs to be bigger movements, bigger change, but it, it still does take those individual actions. So, you know, mm -hmm. Zach sees that he, he has to go back and do what he can, even though he knows that, you know, he on his own is probably not going to win the battle, but he still has to take the actions that he can. And I also like that uh, he doesn't get a long lecture about how the rainforest works and all of this stuff. He's just, he experiences all different parts of it with Krista as he goes on this little adventure journey. And it's those experiences along the way that leads to his change in perspective. So I think you're right, Aisha. Educate isn't quite the right word here mm -hmm. in this film. It is more of a, a change in perspective. It's more of a realization that comes about. So uh, Aisha, would you recommend this film to others? What age range would you recommend it for? Oh, yeah, I, I love this film. This has always been a classic. It's a film I love growing up. And it's a, it's a film, especially once Avatar came out. I was like, this is just but I love the fact that this film held up for me. I enjoyed this film just as much now as when I was 
six or five when I first watched it. While there are some moments of peril, um, I still think it's suitable for a, a younger audience as well. So I'd say anywhere from um, five, but it's a cartoon, so probably five to, to ten. But I do think it's a film that can be enjoyed across the board as say I, I loved it just as much now as I as I did when I was five. So, yeah, it's definitely yeah. for all audiences. Annie, what about you? Would you recommend it? I recommend it as well um, because it advocates for the prevention of deforestation. And I think that it's the environmental message that, that this film has is, is very, very important. Uh, and it's more important today than ever, actually. Um, and I agree that it can be um, like for younger kids, but also for everyone. I, I'm, I'm 35 and I enjoyed it so much. So I think it's it's like it's a very good movie for air all the ages and that is a movie that that actually um it's a very good one to have a discussion after so yeah i, I completely recommend it yeah yeah and i think you're i i agree with both of you that it's kind of it has held up really well so and i think it's not just a nostalgia appeal it, it is quite a good film that has aged quite well and i think that the age range five to ten is um it's like a sweet spot. It can appeal beyond there, but that's where it'll really hit like quite well. There's a few slightly scary moments, as you said, so maybe bump it up to like six and up. But I think for the most part, five to ten is, is a really great range for this, um, but also would definitely recommend. So excellent. Well, thank you both very much for joining me in this episode. Thank you, Victor. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And uh, <laughs> hopefully we'll do more of these kind of film club chats so that right now, while we're all stuck at home, if you just want to put on a movie, but want to have a bit of a, a think about it after the film, um, you can join us in these discussions. If you've got any questions or comments, uh, you can send us an email at knowingnaturepodcast.gmail.com. And Full show notes, of course, will be up on our website at knowingnaturepodcast.wordpress.com. Uh, but that's it for us in this episode. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.